Welcome to Conversations Live. For more than a decade, we've brought you the best in books, entertainment, celebrity interviews, and current events. When the movers and shakers of the world have something to say to you, they say it to us first. Here's your host, Cyrus Webb. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations Live. I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Glad you all could join us once again. But for our radio audience here in Mississippi at WYAD 94.1 FM and WYADonline.com, we're glad that you all could be with us. Also, tuning in through our online affiliates around the world. We're glad that you all could join us as well. I was just saying to my next guest, it's hard to believe it's been a couple years since she and I were on the program together. Uh, she last was on Conversations Live discussing her book, Kent State, and really, I mean, the remarkable book it was. But now in 2022, she's out with a new book. That book is called Bobby, a story of Robert F. Kennedy. We're excited to welcome back author Deborah Wiles to our program today. We're going to talk to Deborah not only about her continued love of storytelling, but also what it was like for her to tell this particular story. And, of course, I already see the early response to it. If you all are just now finding out about Bobby and her other books, we'll remind you how you can be able to get those for yourself. But, Deborah, welcome back to the program. Glad to speak with you again. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be with you again, especially in Mississippi, because I'm from Mississippi, too. So it makes me happy to be here. Oh, well, look, I, always a pleasure. So, you know, once again, you've given us a great book, and we're going to get more into the way you told this story. But I want to kind of broaden the conversation out first, Deborah. Let's talk about this experience for you. I mean, you are someone who it's very obvious that you have a love of history, uh, and a love of sharing. What has it been like for you to bring those two things together in your writing? Oh, it's been a pleasure, and it's also been um, a challenge. And it's been a learning experience to figure out, well, what really did happen in my childhood? I'm a child of the 60s, and I grew up during the Civil Rights Movement, much of it in Mississippi. And as an adult and as a writer, as I became a writer, I was really curious about, well, what did really happen during those days? So I wrote these trilogy of books, the first documentary novels we have for young people called the 60s Trilogy. And in Countdown, we looked at the Cuban Missile Crisis. And in Revolution, we went to Freedom Summer in the Delta. And in Anthem, we went all the way across the country, coast to coast, looking at what it was like to live in 1969. And from there, I went to Kent State because I was a 17-year-old high school student when Kent State happened and my friends were going to Vietnam and I wasn't sure what was happening. And then we've graduated to Bobby this time that um, has been a look at what was it that captured me about Robert Kennedy in those 60 years, 60s years. So that was really um, an eye-opener as well. So uh, let me tell you those stories. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was just going to say the thing that struck me about uh, Robert F. Kennedy, and and you really showcase it in this book, Bobby, is that yes, there are some things a lot of us could not re- relate to. Not all of us were born wealthy. Not all of us were born with privilege, <laughs> right? right? But the thing that I thought really stood out to me, Deborah, and I'm curious as to how you connected with this, was him not being defined by that. That he was always trying to prove himself to show what he can do. What was that like for you to discover? You know, it's interesting how you can infer something from someone. I knew he was different. He came to Mississippi in 1967 and toured Mississippi as part of, uh, you know, as as a senator from New York, but part of the committee that was investigating 
um, Mississippi poverty and, and the war on poverty. And I think at Marion Wright Edelman's uh, behest, he came to Mississippi. But um, his response to it was not the politician's response as much as it was a human being's response. When he came home, his kids were sitting around the dining room table for supper. And instead of sitting down and eating with them, he said, three families live in the size of this dining room in Mississippi. We have to do something about that. And I knew about that story as a kid. And I wanted to be able to bring those stories to young people and their adults. So I chose a frame. To, and I chose a way, whenever you write for young people, you're really trying to connect with who they are, where they are in this present moment. So to be able to choose, grandfather said, back in the days when people worked with their hands, in the days before spaceships and televisions and computers, Robert Francis Kennedy was born. And when you turn the page, all his life, he loved ice cream and big dogs, just like you do. So you've connected to your young person, and then you can tell that history, which opened up to me in things I didn't know. For instance, the speech he had given in Indianapolis when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated that very night. And the funeral train of all the people who lined the tracks when he was assassinated in 1968 and his coffin went from New York to Arlington National Cemetery via train. Um, these were touch points for me. How do I put those into this particular book? And how do I put in the fact that he rose from his station, which was privilege, to become a partner and a servant of the people? How did that happen? And that's what I needed to know. And, and I think to that point then, I think we see the connection in the way the story is told. So let's go back a little bit then, Deborah, because as I mentioned mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, you were on with Kent State. And in that book, you wrote it in a very dramatic fashion, being able to give, give us these different perspectives. How do you decide, once you kind of pick your period, pick your situation, your circumstance, your focus, how do you decide how you want to tell the story? Oh, that's a good question. You know, the story decides and tells me, and that's what happens. So I have to... I have to sit with it. I have to sit and sit and sit with it. And with Kent State, I had done, I had been there several times, and I had done so much research in their archive, their civil rights archive, that I saw that there were so many different ways to tell this story, so many viewpoints, and we would never agree. You know, one one faction would never agree with another about what happened. So let's hear from everyone. You know, let's hear all those factions speaking at once. Let's hear them all talking. And so that's how that book was born. Finally, after all that research was in front of me, I was able to say, oh, we're going to hear every one of these voices. And then in Bobby, in contrast, this book is probably 15, it is 15 years in coming. (laughs) It just took the time that it took to figure out the frame for the story, which I will bow to William Faulkner for, because one of my favorite books is The Reavers. And when I opened that book, it begins, grandfather said. And I borrowed that and used it for Bobby so that there's a frame to tell the story. And it's told very traditionally and chronologically about what happened in Bobby Kennedy's life from his birth to his death and then what brings it back around to us in the present day. 
So there's so choices that you make. Yeah. So let's let's uh, let's stay with that for a second, Deborah, because I I mean I I love the way this is told, and I will have to say. Uh, you know, and growing up in the family that I have grown up in in Mississippi, I think others can relate to us. I didn't get a lot of history from my family. Uh, that was not something that was shared. So I found it fascinating that this was something that was being passed along and to show the importance of. So I want to ask you, is that something that you share with the characters in the book? Did you have that love of history in your family that was shared with you? Oh, that's a great question. And the answer is no. It was not shared with me. Um, I grew up. My my. I am. I was born in Mobile. My mother is from, or was from West Point. My father from uh, Lewin, Jasper County, right next door to Jones County, and his dad was from Jones County. And my dad joined the military at a very early age. And when he did that, well, we traveled the world and came back to Mississippi every summer. So Mississippi was our summer place, and I grew up there observing. It wasn't that we had conversations. It was that I paid attention because it fascinated me, the differences in what I saw in the military and what I saw coming back to Mississippi, and it has stayed with me all my life. (laughs) So that particular history, I'm sure that Bobby Kennedy and his actions had something to do with my interest because he was a hero of mine. I saw him transcend his station to become more than he had been and to become more for other people. I wanted that. I wanted to understand, well, what was the civil rights movement? What do I have a role to play in that today? And I think we all do. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I want to talk more about that history because history has been in question, I think, more in the past decade than I've ever seen. Deborah, I want to talk about that and and kind of how that played into how you go about your work. But I want to first say for those who are just tuning in, either on the radio side or online, you're listening to Conversations Live. We're excited to welcome back Deborah Wiles to our program today. Deborah celebrating a new book this month called Bobby, a story of Robert F. Kennedy. We're going to remind you how you can get this book as well as all of Deborah's books as well. Deborah, speaking of history, you know there are some people who become very jaded about history, and and in some cases rightly so, right? Because things that I learned in school here in Mississippi in the in the 1990s, um, we have now learned uh, may not have happened exactly the way that we learned them, or you know that things were omitted, um, that things were made to look better sometimes than they actually were. How does that that idea of how some people view history? How has that kind of impacted or affected your work? Oh, that's another good question. Um, what else, I'll preface this with saying that the book I'm working on right now that is some time before it comes out, I don't have a full draft, is called, the working title is The Lost Cause of the Confederacy and the Rise of White Supremacy, which is a mouthful for young people yeah. and adults. But it's my journey into the lost cause. And as I grew up in it, of course, surrounded by all those wacky Mississippi relatives and Alabama relatives in the South and um, what I learned, which was so different than what I know now. Uh, I just feel like there's a, there's a place for us to question our past and there's a place for us to question what we were taught or what we learned or what we thought. And I do think that's what we do in life. You know, I think that it's comfortable sometimes to stay in old patterns, but it's also really rewarding and hard and challenging 
to be able to look at, okay, what else was out there that I didn't understand? What, what is, what, what's underneath the veneer of what I learned? And right. so for me, that's been sort of a lifelong thing before I even became a writer when I was raising my own children. And as I started writing freelance at first and then turned my attentions to books, it was just something that I was so interested in because it, 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 it touched me so deeply. The South touched me so deeply. And I live in Atlanta today, and it's still something we struggle with here that touches me and that I still want to uncover and understand better. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm making sense. Yeah, yeah it, it does. It does. Uh, but it does lead to this question then. <laughs> <laughs> so, what has that been like for yeah? What has that been like for you then to share? Because your books, I mean, I think like whether we're talking about Kent State or even Bobby, Deborah, I think the books seem to be geared toward a younger audience. But what I also have told people is it also makes it for us adults a lot easier to understand and appreciate things as well. Is that kind of what goes through your mind, or do you just go into it with a younger audience in mind? I actually don't try and skew to a particular audience, although I do keep okay. my readers in mind. But I do feel like even a picture book is for all ages, and it's mm-hmm. really important to understand that people are going to be coming into your book from all different places and all different understandings. And what you're offering up is your understanding, your historical perspective, given what you've lived and your, your own opinions, but you're also your own research and trying to get at something that scratches the truth. And instead of fiction or myth um, or whatever is made up, but I feel like it's like the 60s trilogy. When I wrote those three books, Countdown, Revolution, and Anthem, I asked Scholastic, the publisher of those books, to please – I wanted to do something that was visual for visual learners, something that was auditory with a playlist, and something that was for those who need to listen. Um, we came up with these scrapbooks that are inserted in those three books of all kinds of photographs and song lyrics and speech snippets, that sort of thing, which are also in Bobby some as well, um, in order to tell that story to a younger audience. I feel like it's really important to find your young readers and to offer up to them a story that may be an alternate to what they know or maybe enhancing what they already know. And these books, when they fall into the classroom or they fall into the home library or they fall into your public library, are places to be found like little treasures, all books are to me, that you're able to find them and learn more and even become more. That's what Bobby is all about. You can see this grandfather and grandchild walking somewhere. You don't know where they're going, but by the end you do. And the end of Bobby is, of course, get ready to change the world. It's a challenge to young people and to their adults. Yeah. So I have to ask you, as you kind of take these looks back in history from book to book, do you find yourself – well, let me ask a question this way. Is it is it more difficult for you to stay optimistic as you look backwards and see where we are, or does it make you more optimistic? Oh, Lord, that's a hard question. (laughs) Actually, I have a lot of hope for who we are as human beings. Um, Another theme of everything I write is how we're all interconnected more than we know. And the more we become aware of that and know that one action affects so many other people, that our choices are, are individual and also global. I feel like the more we know that, the better 
choices we'll make. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful, but it's also some days hard to be hopeful. I know that you find that too. I know we all yeah. do at times. Right. But the storyteller will always be necessary. And no matter how books change or films or music or whatever it is, that, whatever method we use to tell our stories, the storyteller has a position, I believe, and a responsibility um, not just to entertain, but to offer up, to offer up ways of seeing. Is that a responsibility that has been easy for you to embrace? You know, it's a responsibility. I don't know if I'd call it that. It's a calling maybe that I can't refuse. I, I've tried. <laughs> okay. I've actually tried and said, no, not this one. Uh, no, <laughs> not telling that. And then it just sucks me in, and I'm like, okay, you're not going to be able to sleep until you do it. So I do it, and, you know, swings and arrows can come, and that's okay. Um, And they have in the past. Um, And, you know, even with Bobby, we were concerned. We didn't want to write a book. I didn't want to have a book out in the world that made a white person seem like a white savior. I wanted him to be um, uh, a partner. I wanted him to be... um, a foot soldier, basically, which is what he, I believe he was. And he did come from privilege, but that privilege gave him a choice to make. Um, he had a very tough dad, Joe Kennedy, who uh, pushed his kids to win at all costs, and he started out that way, Bobby did. And then at some point he said, winning, what, what's the point of winning if all you're doing is winning for yourself? And he went to Kentucky, he went to the coal mines, he went to Mississippi, he went to Bedford-Stuyvesant in New York City. He, he, people met him from all different ages, stages, wherever they were, and said, I'm in. You know, I'm in. And he said, okay, let's go. You know, you tell me, I'll, I'll help. It's sort of like the Freedom Summer Volunteers that I write about in, in Revolution. They came from all over to the south, to Mississippi, in that summer of 64, but they didn't come to save anyone. They came to work with them, you know. Yeah. So that's how I look at it anyway, and that's how I've written those books, and that's how I've written Bobby. Yeah, and, and, and to that point, let me say this about Bobby. The thing that struck me was that uh, even as we see how he worked with his brother, you know, they, uh-huh. it, it was about being a partner. It was about being a team player. He didn't have to be the main guy. In fact, it seems like, for what I've read about him, and of course you you know more about his history than I do, Deborah. He seemed almost to be a reluctant leader in many ways. Oh, that's a good point too. Um, there's a great documentary, uh, an American Experience documentary called RFK, that begins saying he wasn't built for the spotlight; he was built for the wings, and he had to fight against the basic shyness. And his legs would shake, his hands would shake as he was trying to speak. He wasn't a natural like his brother was. But after his brother was assassinated, after President Kennedy was killed, um, Bobby went away for a while and emerged back eight months later, I think it was, to run for Senate, to do something to change the way the country was moving that he thought was wrong, not just civil rights, but also the war in Vietnam. He was totally against that, and he was having to come out swinging because he was late to the game to enter politics, to enter the presidential race. But he became something larger than he was, and he became stronger through suffering. 
Um, so I look at his life like that, and I look at how he may have shook when he talked and he may have not felt like a natural, but he was authentic and he was engaged and he was passionate about change. Yeah. Such a great point. So I want to ask you this as we wrap up here. Deborah, the time just flies by. Um, even commercial free, it just flies by. <laughs> Deborah right. and I were talking right. before we went live here, and she, we were talking about the amount of time. And I thought to myself, even though I was telling her how much time, you, you know, it's, it's just going to fly by. It doesn't matter how much time we <laughs> <laughs> we have, but yeah. what 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 is your hope? Because I know you do want to. I think this is a book that will will teach in some respects. I think it will entertain in some respects because of the way. But for me, it inspires. What is your hope there as the as the writer? Hmm. Well, if you look at Bobby Kennedy's life. The art director, David Saylor at Scholastic, said this to me, too. He said, you've got a picture book here. Are you sure you want to include a war and three assassinations in this picture book, along with inspiration and hope? How do you do that? Which was a huge um, challenge for me, because I felt like everything needed to be included. Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination, his brother's, uh, John Kennedy's assassination, Bobby Kennedy's himself. Um, this was a terribly turbulent time in the 60s, and we weathered it. We will again. And that's what I want to say. That's, that's what I want to put forth. The young people will save us. We will save ourselves. We will all come together in some way. We did it before. We've done it many times before. Uh, and we will do it again. And I have faith in us that we will do it again. It's like the very end of... Uh, of Bobby, where the grandfather says it will take many hands reaching out just like yours. It will take tough, fierce, mighty hearts just like yours. So listen, learn, ask questions, and grow. Get ready to change the world. You bring up something. I wasn't even going to mention it, but since you said it, I I will mention it, um, Deborah, because this book does show that change does require sacrifice. Yes. And and I that is not always an easy message um to share especially with young people. Um mm-hmm. what was it like for you to write it and then now to to share that to let them know that this is not it looks glamorous on television but this is not glamorous. <laughs> this is this is something mm-hmm. that takes work and there will be people who will not like it, who will not appreciate it. How do you how do you marry that? I think I have to do exactly what grandfather has said to this child. I have to try and be tough and fierce and have that mighty heart and listen, learn, and grow and know that it won't always be a message or a a particular story that all love. I mean, you have that no matter what you do in life. You know, any decision you make, not everyone agrees with. But to take a stand which may mean sacrifice, which may mean suffering, which always means those things, really, in this world. Um, that's, where, that's what we're called to do, I think. We're called to take a stand. I, w- I want to take a stand for the idea that every human being is worthy of dignity and respect and that every person's story is important. Such a great point. 
And that's why we're glad to have you back again, everyone. Deborah Wiles has been our guest, leaving us way too soon, but a great conversation with you, Deborah, as I knew it was going to be. Her newest book is called Bobby, A Story of Robert F. Kennedy. It's available through our friends at Amazon.com as well as her other books as well. Or you can get it through your favorite local bookstore if they don't have it. I know they'd be more than happy to order it for you. We share that with you guys because I know Amazon has the convenience, but sometimes there's nothing like going to a bookstore and being able to experience that. Deborah, how can our audience stay connected with you? Um, Wednesday, uh, Thursday night, I'm going to be at Politics and Prose virtually. You can come and buy your book there if you like, and you can always find me on the web at DebraWiles.com. And there's more about Bobby there with lots of links for you to investigate. All right. Deborah, congratulations to you again. Always a pleasure and looking forward to the next conversation with you. Thank you so much. You are, you are my pleasure. I really appreciate it. Thank Good you. luck to everyone that. in Mississippi. I know that this has been a long, hot summer. <laughs> yes, it, it yes it uh, yeah it's been it's had its challenges for sure. But as as we talked about here, we'll definitely continue to rise above it. And we thank your audience for tuning in to another great segment of Conversations Live. Until next time, I'm your host Cyrus Webb. Thank as always. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your world. Thank you all for choosing Conversations Live. And let's go make today amazing. Take care. <laughs> 